I want to start this morning with some uplifting data from uh, Harvard University. 36% uh, of American adults say they're lonely almost all the time. 51% of mothers with young children say they're lonely almost all the time. And 61% of Americans ages 18 through 25 say they're lonely almost all the time. What a great way to start our message this morning. Um, and uh, we did a survey with actually all of you here uh, about a year ago with all three campuses, and we asked what are some of the challenges that you're facing. And by the way, this Harvard data is from 2022, so right now, not uh, during the pandemic, and we did a survey in, uh, during the pandemic, and, and we, had, we had given you many options, and, and of the top two that you've selected as your highest challenges that you're facing and navigating were loneliness and anxiety. And so our culture is facing an epidemic of loneliness um, just all, all over and in our own communities in this Silicon Valley. And it doesn't help us that alongside that, we have these strong like cultural forces that are also like at odds with our journey of trying to build community uh, where we're seen, known, and loved. Um, there are four uh, major ones that we see in the Silicon Valley and all throughout. Busyness is number one, prioritize achieving and accumulation. Uh, we are just so busy. People say they move to Silicon Valley not uh, for relationships but for work. And so we're here trying to make it here. Um, I mean, it's pretty cheap to live here, so it's not that bad, but... Um, <laughs> You know, and, and individualism, uh, desire for comfort and convenience. And so as you try to build uh, community, uh, when things get a little bit difficult, when you start having conflict in relationship, uh, you just choose to just move on because comfort and convenience of your own time and energy is the most important thing. Hypermobility, I've moved over 22 times. And we have options now. We have so many churches and communities and neighbors that we can get into uh, in our cultural moment. And so we bounce from place to place and never really settling down. We don't have long, deep, lasting roots. Um, and that doesn't help us in our journey of belonging, community, and non-committal. Um, as maybe some of us, we've committed and uh, we've been backstabbed, gossiped upon, and we've been damaged, hurt disappointed in our communities that we've been part of, um, even sadly, even here, uh, as we are imperfect community trying to do our best. And so you, uh, as you try to get a little bit deeper, all these forces cause us to, not, uh, to get even more lonely in our journey. And, and as I share that, it's not just you all, that's part of my journey as well. Uh, I was born in South Korea, and this is my uh, last known family photo in South Korea. And uh, I'm the older brother. Look at that incredible fashion. Uh, beautiful, beautiful looking man right there. Um, it's my dad, mom, and my younger brother, John. And uh, we, uh, we had no idea. I mean, they, they said, we're going to move to America. I, was, I mean, I don't look excited in that photo, but I was pretty thrilled. They're like, there's going to be a pizza and bagels. I was like, oh, yes. I don't even know what they are, but sounds exciting. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, but little did I know at that age that I would move to America and everything would change. My faith community, my church, commu my, my church community, my friends, my neighbors, my school friends, 
um, and my relatives, uh, my uh, the city that I was in, everything, every community and every relationship that I would have would just be disrupted and I had to start begin to find and forge new belonging community here in, in America. And to be honest, it was really difficult and I struggled most of my life with loneliness. And so I look at you and not say, hey, this is something you're dealing with. It's part of my own story and loneliness. When I talk about it, it hits really at home for me. And all of us, wherever we are, especially a church at this size, this is what we long for, right? To be known and to be seen. And um, whether you are new here or you're even part of a life group or you've been attending this community for a while, there's a sense in which that you are longing for deeper relationships where you are known and loved and cared for, that the struggles that in your journey are seen and met with care uh, from the community. And um, I love this quote from Dr. Kurt Thompson, and he says this, we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. We are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us. And that's been my journey as well. Um, who really sees me and who can come alongside in my journey? And, and as we are part of this series on loving one another, um, this is a central message for our Westgate community. And Jesus, by his kindness and his grace, has given us the gift of the Christian community, the Church of Christ, Westgate family, um, and our life group, but what does it look like to go deeper so that we are truly known, that we're not going in and out, that we truly experience all that Christ has uh, given for our, uh, on our behalf so that we may really live this world, not alone. The, the Bible says even from the beginning, it is not good for a man to be alone. And and God, in his triune community, he existed in community, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He created us in community, let us make man in our image for community. It is not good for a man to be alone, and we are invited to journey together. And so I want to spend this morning, as we are all uh, drowning in a culture of loneliness, what would it look like for us to be known and seen and loved? Would you pray with me? And let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the gift of the church. Um, but at a church of this size, we all know that many of us still feel alone in our journey. And some of us, we are new to this community. And some of us, we've been here for a long time. Wherever that may be, we want to grow in deeper relationships. I, that's the desire for all of us. And so, God, uh, help us, guide us as we figure out who our people are. What does it look like to build deeper relationships and find belonging and love? We thank you for the gift of fa uh, family, and we pray that you would help us experience it fully. In Jesus' name, amen. Love one another. By the way, if we haven't met, my name is David. I'm part of the team here, and love to share with you this morning about uh, the passage on love one another. John 13, 34. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love 
comes from God. I love that. I love that love doesn't start with our own strength and our power, but love comes from God himself. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And there comes, and these are some of my favorite verses in all of scripture. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is why we do what we do. Christ died for our sins so that we may have life, so that we can be part of this larger community. And we're so grateful because the pillars of the loves that we stand on here at Westgate, if you've been around, love God, love one another, and, and love our neighbors, that cannot happen apart from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are built on that. And we're so grateful because we, God is not saying try harder, love more. He's saying, look at what I have done for you, that I have given my life so that you may live. My, my, growing up, my dad um, would, would say, hey, David, do you know how much I love you? And I would say, oh, of course, I, I, you love me so well. And he would say, I would give the whole world for you. And I would say, okay, that sounds strange, but okay. And then he would say, the last thing he would say is, I would lay down my life for you. And I would say, I'm five years old. I'm like, okay, that's borderline weird, kind of creepy. Um, and, and growing up, he would say that time to time. And recently, we had a time to visit my folks in New York. And um, we were watching baseball. And dad just looked at me. I knew it was coming again. He's like, David, you know how much I love you. I'm like, dad, I'm almost 40 now. Uh, it's, it's weird. And um, I would give the whole world for you, and, 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 then, um, and then he said, you know, um, you know, I would lay down my life at any time for you, and, um, and every time I read this passage, I think of my dad's words, oh, he was teaching me the gospel growing up, that, that this is what it looks like for what love truly is, to lay down our lives for one another, and this is what Christ has done for us. In verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, he loved us so well, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Let me say that again. If we love one another, I want to anchor our time here. God lives in us. It's not that God doesn't live in us. Like we all, like once we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, God already lives in us. What this is saying is that as we love one another, the fullness of the reality of a God's presence is made realized in our lives. Did you see that? As we love one another, the fullness of God's presence in our lives, we get to experience it more. And as we love one another, it's again, it's not that God's love is imperfect Surely God's love is perfect, but that God's perfect love is made more fully known in our lives as we love one another. So people say, hey, David, it's all about just loving God. And I would say, I, don't, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but as we love one another, we get to experience the fullness of God's love in our own hearts. And so, friends, I'm not just saying love one another because this is something that the Bible just is forcing us to do. 
As of course, Christ is calling us to love one another. But as we do, we get to go deeper in God's love for us. And what a great thing that is. That it's not just a forced command on our behalf, but that truly through loving one another, that we get to experience the riches of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. And so as we journey together, um, we want to experience that more. But here's the question, right, we all ask, but how? Like, how do we do that? Like, what does it look like to, to build, find our people and find our community, to build deeper relationships and deeper belonging? What does it look like to truly love one another and to find uh, meaning and purpose and to experience the fullness of God's reality in our lives? Well, if this is something that you're thinking through and longing for and want to find out more, I have an incredibly great news. I have a great resource for you. Uh, I just wrote a book. Um, and, and some of you are like, self-promotion, I feel it. I'm like, um, I just want to pause and say, um, this is actually uh, my life journey, my life story that um, this is my life testimony, that I didn't know how to belong. And so I thought doing was belonging. And so I tried to achieve and maybe somebody would accept me. And I didn't know how to belong. So I got into all these false addictions that gave me a sense of meaning and community, but it did not give me life. And as I studied the scriptures, and as I uh, uh, journeyed my own story, and as I pastored and met with all of you, some, not all of you, but many of you in our journey, I began to see that this is not actually just my own story, but many of our stories as well. And what I began to see is that as I studied brain science and psychology and all the different studies and, of course, centered around the teachings of Jesus Christ himself, I began to see five repeated patterns to cultivate belonging, to really love one another well. Again, that's the theme of our journey here, like to, to be a people that love well. And I want to pause and say just in this journey that the elders have given me time to write this. And so uh, thank you, elders, for just giving me the space and championing this. And, um, and, of course, Jay for really coming alongside and saying, hey, this is really important. And so he helped me sharpen some of the things. And he, had, and, and he said, David, I'm going to give you uh, uh, 20 minutes to talk about this book. <laughs> and and it's so so I, I spent two and a half years uh, writing it, but now I have 20 minutes to talk about it. Uh, so it's going to feel uh, a little bit rushed, uh, but it's just an uh, overview for today. And if you want to just learn a little bit more of the nuances of all the tools of these five practices, um, and hopefully that could be a helpful resource for this community, for our life groups, life group leaders, shepherds, and just anyone else like me journeying through this. With that, um, here are the five practices. Priority. Chemistry, vulnerability, empathy, accountability. These five practices to love one another well, to grow, to move from shallow conversations and shallow commitments and shallow community to a community deep where we are known and loved and we care for one another. And I want to say that the order of these matter. Okay, I, there's a reason why it's in this order. So going back to these five uh, icons of belonging, um, 
if you start with accountability first and you start just talking to the person about what they should or shouldn't do, you don't even know their story, that's what, my friends, we call spiritual abuse. And that happens too, sadly, too often in the churches. Like you haven't even, you don't even know my name. And you're yelling at me about something I've done. And, and some of you come from that. And as a pastor and as part of the, a church leader, I just want to say we're so sorry if that's your experience. Because that's not how communities work. We start with priority. We start with commitment to one another. We say we're all in. And we find folks who are like-minded and we can grow together and open our hearts and, and see each other and hold each other. And in that, we call each other to become all that Christ has invited us to be. But friends, if we get the order wrong, we can destroy community. So with that, shall we dive in? All right. The practice of priority. Uh, Bronnie, uh, where she wrote a book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. You're like, oh, my God, David, you're saying sad stories all the time now, right? Just started with the sad data, and now uh, Five Regrets of the Dying. And she's a palliative nurse spending uh, with folks the final 12 weeks of their lives. And she began to see also in their final moment some of the common themes. And the, the two things that she shared of the five regret, top five regrets of the dying. Number one. She said, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Whew. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And so that resonates deeply because if we do not prioritize relationships and community, life will prioritize for us. And we begin to be distracted and disordered in what Christ says called us to, and in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25 says this, and let us consider how we may spur one another uh, on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Notice what it says. Notice what it doesn't say, not giving up meeting together unless you work in Silicon Valley. We'll give you an excuse for that. Unless you're in grad school. Unless... And this one's going to hurt. You have young children. Oh, I see the moms giving me the death eye. <laughs> or the young parents. And I say, you know, we're in, we're in that with you. We have two young kids. Um, but when we are overwhelmed, isn't that when we need the community all the more? Right? Unless you have health problems. Unless you have back problems. I have a back problem. Any chiropractors here? Uh, see me after here. <laughs> right? Unless I have a, It doesn't say any of that. It says... Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Some of us, my journey of this habit is that when relationships or communities get difficult, I withdraw and pull away. And my friends who in the first 25 years of my life, they would say, they would say, I can't believe you wrote a book on community and belonging because you are a terrible friend. I know, I have some still work to do and healing. And, and, but the reality is that when things got difficult, I would just withdraw and move on to different relationships and different communities because that's my habit. When things get difficult, I run away. I also have a habit of protecting my time. And so instead of prioritizing uh, communities and relationships and people God has given in my life, I prioritize what is most important to me, my own self-well-being. What might be a habit for you? 
David Brooks says this, thus, the most complete definition of a commitment is this, falling in love with something and then building a structure of behavior around it for those, uh, for those moments when love falters. What would it look like to prioritize and build a repeated structure around it um, so that we can commit to what's really important in our journey of loving one another? So for me, Tuesday nights from 7 to 10, that's my men's group. My family knows this. My wife knows this. And so unless there's a family emergency, I am committed to going. Sometimes I hate it. Sometimes, let's just be honest, I look at my calendar. I'm like, God, that structure helps me to go. And, and every time I go, it's a wonderful experience. But again, we have all these competing uh, temptations and desires and, and values. What would it look like for you? And for some... You just started attending Westgate. Maybe for you, it's like maybe if you're just coming once or twice a month to coming to three, four times a month to Westgate, just church. And for some, you are coming every week. And maybe your priority and your commitment, next step of commitment would be to join a life group and to commit to that. Some of you, you are in a life group, but you only come once a month. And that's not to shame you. But maybe what would it look like to prioritize that, to go maybe twice or three times a month? Some of you, you are going twice, but what would it look like to go through? And so I share all that to say, in your own journey, in a room of this size, you all have a different next step of priority. And the invitation is, what would that look like for you? Number two, the practice, and that practice of chemistry. And you're like, chemistry, like, find people that you kind of fit and connect with? That sounds like pretty unchristian, David. And, and I would say, um, I know that's what I thought too. Uh, in my journey, isn't it, isn't it like, David, for Christian communities to be inclusive and to love all people and to care for everybody? Chemistry, like find people that you find chemistry with? That's not loving one another. And that's really what I thought. And so growing up, like, I hated cliques. I hated cliques, first of all, in my youth ministry because I never got into one. Oh, that's, again, another childhood trauma. And, and, and when I became a youth pastor, I vowed, and I was in youth ministry for 11 years, I vowed that I would break up all these cliques. And so when I became a youth pastor, I built a youth leadership team, and I called them, I named them Click Busters. That's, what they're, that's our student leadership team. And I told them, guys, right, we are a community of love, right? They're like, yes, Pastor David. And I said, okay, if you see anybody sitting next to each other, go sit in between them and break any kind of cliques. And they're like, we got this. And so I say, I now release you to love and to break up cliques. And they would all go. And then they would sit and they would sit in between relationships. And what I began to realize is that I was actually preventing deep friendships from happening. I didn't know in my immature youth ministry that you can actually love all and still be, build deeper friendships. I thought they were both at odds, but they're not. And you're like, ah, oh, David, I still feel suspicious about what you're saying. Well, then I got to get some help from our great theologian, C.S. Lewis. And he says this, people who bore one another should meet seldom. People who interest one another often. <laughs> Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for strengthening my argument. Right. He's human. C.S. then goes on to say this as well. Uh, friendship, 
uh, rises out of mere companionship when two or more companions discover that they have in common more insights or interests or even uh, tastes with uh, the others do not share, which till that moment each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. I love that. Like as we explore, first again, chemistry, the world will say, find chemistry first, people who you find attraction and affinity and then commit. This is why the order is important. We start with priority. We commit to one another in that, and then we explore who are some of the people that we see a deeper relational connection and intimacy where we have same kind of humor and shared visions and values and that we really enjoy one another's presence. I love that God has sent us and sometimes, and, and you say, do you see this? God has sent us these folks and people in our lives so that we can really enjoy one another's company. And you say, David, Jesus, did Jesus model this? I would say, yeah, let's turn to Mark chapter 5, verse 35 to 37. Jesus had the 12 disciples, but every time while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Jesus had the inner three. He did not let anyone. Mark wasn't in that. Maybe that's why he's butthurt. So he's kind of writing this. Oh, he did not let, and he had a lot of time because he wasn't invited. And so I'm sure he's writing this gospel. He did not let anyone, he asked me included, follow him. Oh, Mark, we'll pray for you. Um, but the reality is that Jesus had the inner three and he brought them to some of the most painful moments of his life in the garden of Gethsemane in his pain points. And so he loved the 12, but invested into the three. In the Bible, actually, Jesus only had the nicknames for those three. He really found a lot of deeper connection with them. Should we pause Jesus and rebuke him for the sin of favoritism? Should we say, Jesus, I think you're sinning here. You're not loving all. No, Jesus was able to navigate between loving all and still really investing into the relationships and friendships where there was a shared chemistry and value. And so I just want to give you the permission to say it's okay not to be best friends with everyone. But at the same time, again, the pull is, again, this is not a permission to say don't love all. We are committed to being hospitable, loving, and caring to all, but also be on the lookout for whom God might send in our way. So what would that look like for you? Who are some other people? My wife would say this. She would say, you know, there are people where you spend three minutes and it feels like three hours. And there are certain people you spend uh, three hours, it feels like three minutes, right? Who are the most life-giving people that God has sent in your way for your joy and for your love and your commitment to grow? The third practice, the practice of vulnerability. You get to commitment and priority and, and then you, you find folks who you share uh, much with in common and then you get into, and if you do not open up and be vulnerable, you cannot go deeper in your loving of one another. Vulnerability is such an important piece, and we do not do this very well. We've actually been hiding from the beginning. Uh, God said, 
Adam and Eve fell and they hid. And God said, where are you? And it's not that God didn't know where they were. God was asking them, do you know where you are? If you hide over and over again, you don't even know who you are anymore because you've hidden so much of yourself that you don't even have enough self-awareness and self-understanding. Uh, and this is what happens. And so the invitation is to be vulnerable and to be honest with our stories. It's to, vulnerability simply is to come out of hiding. That we were hiding in Genesis to come out and to be honest with our stories and to own our stories well. And of course, in that vulnerability, the Latin root word is uh, capable of being wounded. And I get that. You're like, oh, that sounds terrible. Um, and there is that. But if we don't, then we will always be in selfish, shallow communities and conversations. We really need to open all of ourselves so that as we hold ourselves in vulnerability, that we really truly experience the fullness of community because now we are holding the real versions of each other. And this is really difficult. Second Corinthians says this, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. When I am weak, then I am strong. Um, the reality is that I think about some of my identities and responsibilities and thinking about vulnerability. I'm an Asian American. I hope you know that I'm Asian. Uh, Asian, American, um, Christian, male, pastor. That's a lot of stuff where vulnerability gets really difficult. Asian, a lot of Asian community struggles with honor and shame. And shame is a big part. And so if you say something that's going to bring something down for your family or for yourself, like we got to make sure that we're constantly upkeeping our image. And so uh, I, I grew up saying that, hey, vulnerability is not a right value. And American, like, we don't share about our struggles. We can do this in our own strength. And sharing our struggle is a weakness. And so Asian, American, Christian, uh, we are called to live in certain ways. And of course, and so I don't want to share about some of my patterns and addictions and some of the repeated sins because I don't know what you will think. And so I'm just going to hide and, and not be honest. And, and so we have that, right? We feel like that there will be a sense of judgment, whether that's true or not. And so you got Asian, American, Christian, and then male. And as a man uh, growing up, um, you do not talk about your emotions. You do not talk about your feelings. Um, that is a sign of weakness. And I want to just say, um, this is something we all struggle with. But can I just pause and address the men in this room? Like, we just got to get better at this. We, we really got to get better at this. That, that hiding our emotions and hiding our pain is not strength, brothers. We have to be honest with our journey. We have to open up. And I know that that's not what the culture says. Culture says you figure it out with your own power and strength. That's what it means to be a man. But Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept, and he, he cared, and he showed compassion. And the invitation is that as we become all that Christ has invited us to be. And lastly, pastor for me. Um, my goodness, like I'm sitting up here and I'm thinking through, oh, I wonder what they're thinking. As I share my own uh, weaknesses and vulnerabilities, I wonder if they'll come back. I wonder if they'll trust uh, some of the things that I'll share. And I have my own maybe expectations, maybe expectations that I've had of what it means to be a pastor. And I'm so grateful for the journey of my men's group where I have been able to just be, take off the pastor hat and just be David. And in that place, in my weakness and brokenness and sin, to be loved just as I am, so that I can come out of hiding and to face myself in the context of love and care. And I'm so grateful for that. And that's why I can still come up here and say, I am a approval addict. I know Kayvon just said he's a service addict. He loves serving all the time. I'm an approval addict. I'm, I deeply care about what you think. I am a people pleaser. I am, and I care deeply about how people feel around me. And I love compliments. And, I, and you're like, oh boy, this, this guy has a lot of issues. <laughs> Thank you. But if we're not honest, how will we grow and become all that God has meant us to be? Guys, I have my struggles. We all do. But that's okay because Christ died so that we may live and have eternal life. And so, friends, whatever the cultural powers are coming to make us uh, uh, be afraid of our own selves and the realities that we're experiencing, the invitation is to go deeper and deeper. Next is the practice of empathy. Vulnerability without empathy is really painful. Imagine you open yourself and somebody says, eh, I don't care. Or they just say, hey, um, you're not the only one that's going through that. And, and when vulnerability is not met with empathy, we cannot feel safe and go deeper. Friends, empathy is doing our best to understand one another. Friends, we have to get better at listening. Christians got to stop teaching other people how to live their lives. When someone's sharing their struggle, they actually know most of the time the answer to that struggle. My wife would say that about me. She would share her struggle. And then it happened again just recently. I'm like, hey, Nina, I know exactly how to fix that uh, situation. And she looked at me right back and she said, David, I it didn't work the last 10 years. I already know the answer. So why do you think it's going to work now? And why do you think it's going to work for the next 10 years? I just want to be seen and known and heard that you care about my journey. I just want you to listen and validate. And validate is not approving and affirming everything that they're doing. Validating is, I see you. I see that that must be hard. We just got to get better at validating their experiences. And instead of the invalidating statement is like, what? You've, you're tired after working six hours? I've worked eight hours. You know what? You're tired raising two children? That's so easy. I've never said that, by the way. <laughs> Jesus, help me. 
The practice of empathy is doing our best to see what they're journeying and what they're going through and coming alongside and being a listening, compassionate presence. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Empathy is not just about in low moments, but in high moments that we're coming alongside. Man, I am excited with you. I celebrate. Brennan Brown uh, says this, empathy has no script. There is no right way or wrong way to do it. It's simply listening, holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting and communicating that incredible healing message of you're not alone. This world wasn't meant to do this, uh, this uh, journey alone, that I'm with you and I care. And if we're able to do all of that, now we get into the final and fifth practice, the practice of accountability. And I know in our culture today, accountability raises a lot of flags, cancel culture, spiritual abuse. I just want to pause here. As we've been pastoring a lot of folks, some of you come from places where you've been uh, spiritually abused and manipulated by your small group, life group leader or pastor. I just want to pause and say, we're so sorry that happened to you. For the, in the name of accountability, if you've been manipulated, that's not the way of Christ. And so we just want to say we're so sorry and we are doing our best. Westgate Church is not perfect, but we do not want to use you for Westgate's gain. We want to come alongside. Accountability is we want to come alongside to help you become all that Christ is inviting you to be. Not my agenda, not the lead pastor's agenda, not the elder's agenda. It's the agenda of Christ in your life. And we want to explore with you all that Christ is doing. And we want to come alongside, encourage you, champion you, pray with you. That is accountability. I don't know what other versions are. And by the way, I have my own shares of that growing up. And I had, that, I had my own share of versions of that as a pastor. And so whatever you've come from, and as you see, oh, like practice of accountability, there is a healthy way to do it. And Westgate Church... We want to honor, and we want to do that well. And so with that, what would it look like to hold both grace and truth? Kevin Dion says this, if you are a grace person, you are most concerned about being loved. If you are a truth person, you are most concerned about being right, even if it means uh, being unloved. Both have their dangers. I love this. Something is wrong if everyone hates you. Something is probably just as wrong if everyone loves you. Whoa, are you just a grace, grace person or are you just a truth person in the journey of accountability? But Jesus was both full of grace and truth. What would that look like for you to take one more step in the practice of accountability? Maybe you need to speak up or maybe you need to speak less. What would that look like? James 5, 16 says this, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. As we journey together and share our lives, that as we confess and call the best in each other of what, the, what Christ and the Spirit of God is doing, we become and we be, find healing and love, community, intimacy, belonging, 
and the kinds of community that Christ has invited us to be. And our family, we've experienced that here at Westgate. Some of you are new to our community. Some of you know the story. Some of you are new and just want to say welcome here. And uh, for about four or five years ago, our family got into a pretty bad accident. Uh, I had a little one. She was nine months old, Zoe, and Skylar, she was closer to two. My wife was in the car. We were on our way to church, and somebody rear-ended us 70 miles per hour, and we all uh, survived the accident, but I went through nine months of uh, blurry vision and brain damage. And some of you are like, I still see a little bit of that now. <laughs> well, that's, again, another uh, sermon. Um, but in that process, uh, I feared, again, as an approval addict, and I feared, like, what would happen to my job here at Westgate? What would happen to my family, again, living in Silicon Valley? Uh, what would that look like? I fear for the worst. And our former uh, lead uh, pastor uh, and uh, our campus pastor, Steve and Dana Clifford, I remember them coming alongside us and said, I still remember this. Again, this was four, almost five years ago. Um, David, we will take care of your family. And that meant everything to us. That just meant everything to us. Steve, Dana, I don't know if you're here in this room. I just want to say you've embodied what it means to love one another so well. And on behalf of my family, I just want to say thank you again. We're so grateful because you, you've been and you are committed to our family. And, and, and our family's lives have never been the same. And this is our family photo now, and we're all doing well. And uh, we're so grateful for the journey. And Westgate Church, the elders also have come alongside. And we're really grateful for you and how you've come alongside in our deepest and the most painful moments. And as we journey through, and here's the thing, right? Um, Steve just didn't commit to our family, and, and we had great connection, and we were vulnerable in empathy. Steve also is really good at accountability. <laughs> and so Steve said, David, I've, as we've journeyed with your family, I've noticed, and we've noticed that you are really addicted to your work. And I was like, ouch, okay. I thought, I, wait, I thought I'm crying, I'm like, okay, now what's happening? And Steve said, again, we love you so much, and I'm coming alongside. And by the way, this is what healthy accountability looks like. And we're championing you. I want you for the next nine months to serve your family well, to love your wife well, and to love your children well. Do not let your achievement and your performance get in the way of your priority of being a good father and good husband. And your interview will be in nine months. I remember this in Panera Bread, and I was crying, eating my, eating my Panera Bread. Oh, thank you, America, right? Like, I'm eating my <laughs> Panera Bread. And Steve said, the interview question will be, I'm going to ask, and we're going to ask Nina, was he faithful in serving you and your children well? And if she did, we want to bring you back on. Guys, I end with this verse. Um, going back to not, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. It, this story is not even about Steve and Dana and our elders and our team as grateful as they are to our family. 
as they loved our family, we got to fully experience the fullness of love of God in Christ Jesus. They, as they loved us well, we experienced the love of God himself. Friends, loving one another is not a task to do. As we love one another, we experience God himself. And that we've experienced that in this community. And our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, whether you are just coming to the church for the first time, whether you're in a life group, I want to just bring you back to the five core belonging icons and just say, what would it look like for us to take one small step in your belonging journey of loving one another well? What would it look like for you to build deeper community and to take one more step so that you grow in loving one another. And I end with, again, that quote that we've heard from Dr. Kurt Thompson. We are all born into the world looking for someone, looking for us. And the truth be told is that that's Jesus himself. He's been looking for us all along, and that is the gospel message. And in 1 John 4, as we read in the beginning, I want to send you off with this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Friends, we've been loved so well by God. Let us love each other well till Jesus returns. Let us be the kind of community. Let us move on from shallow conversations to deep waters of loving well. And in that place, may we experience the fullness of God. May that be the prayer of Westgate Church community. We're going to be taking communion together. And you all have it. And I want you to actually not take it well. Uh, uh, take it uh, at this point. Uh, I want you to pause. Just hold the elements if you haven't gotten it. We have ushers, and make sure you have one. And I will be coming back to lead us into a time of communion. But we're going to start uh, with a song, and, um, and we're going to take communion as a family together. So, God, we thank you for um, your love. We're so grateful. Help us to love each other well. In Jesus' name.